everyone. This is the Changelog, where a member-supported blog podcast and weekly email covering what's fresh and what's new in open source. You can check out the blog at thechangelog.com. Our past shows can be found at 5x5.tv slash changelog. And subscribe to the Changelog Weekly. That's our weekly email we send out every Saturday covering everything that hits our open source radar. Subscribe at thechangelog.com slash weekly. You're listening to episode 117, where Jared Santo and I talk to Jeremy Signs about Go, Martini, the Go ecosystem, and even a little bit of Node as well. Today's show is sponsored by DigitalOcean, New Relic, and TopTal. We'll tell you a bit more about New Relic and TopTal later in the show, so stay tuned. But our friends at DigitalOcean, they're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive ways to spin up a cloud server. You can spin up a cloud server in 55 seconds with full root access, and it just doesn't get any easier than that. Pricing plans start out affordably at 5 bucks a month for half a gig of RAM, 20 gigs of SSD, SSD drive space, one CPU, one terabyte of transfer, and if you only need a server for a few days or to test an app, you can even rent that server basically by the hour. So it's super inexpensive, just .007 cents an hour. That's like... I, I, it's hard to even say, but it's less than a penny per hour. It's 0.7 of a cent. <laughs> so super affordable. But uh, we have an awesome promo code for you to use. Use the promo code CHANGELOGAPRIL to get a $10 hosting credit when you sign up. Head to DigitalOcean.com to get started. And now, on to the show. We're joined today by Jeremy Sines, also known as Code Gangsta. We had a quick laugh there for a bit, but... Uh, He's uh, known as Code Gangsta on Twitter and GitHub, and I guess probably everywhere else, right, Jeremy? That's right. Uh, yeah. Pretty much everywhere else, except Skype. My Skype name has not changed yet, as you guys see. Yeah. He's here to talk to uh, to me and the managing editor of the changelog, Jared Santo, about the Go programming language, his fun with it, what he's been doing, uh, specifically his web framework for Go called Martini and a bunch of other fun stuff so jeremy welcome to the show man oh thanks i'm really glad to be on here so i i know that uh you've been a fan of the changelog right i do you tweeted it to us a couple maybe a week back and and uh we wanted to get you on the show anyways and you just kind of fast forwarded that a little bit yeah yeah i've been catching up on episodes um the first one i watched i'm, I'm not a long time fan but I uh, I started watching uh, Katrina, Katrina Owen's podcast, and I started catching up on all the other ones since oh, then. Right. And um, yeah, I think it's a great podcast. I, I personally love the idea of podcasts. I try to listen to as many as, as possible. And uh, yeah, so I'm super glad to be on here. I'm, I'm glad I was able to just like uh, totally get in your face and be like, put me on the show. Yeah, that's legit. That was cool. But Jared was on uh, the Katrina show as well. Yep. We had fun on that one, didn't we, Jared? Yeah, that show actually probably has a lot of similar similarities to this one between the Ruby and Go influence. Yeah, and uh, you've been uh, doing different, uh, what, what are they called, exercises in uh, exorcism? Oh, me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess exercises is, is the fair term. Exorcism.io was is Katrina's project. Yeah. And yeah, I've been having a lot of fun uh, getting my code reviewed up in there and nitpicked as she likes to call it and uh that's right yes learn a lot you learn a lot yes well jeremy where do we where do we begin for you i mean let's I know start that, with code uh, gangsta oh is, man let's hear it like what code gangsta so the cat's getting out of the bag now <laughs> might um, as well get it out of the way here because yeah so great. this goes all the yeah this goes and you could find out more about it on my blog but this goes all the way back to me starting in the industry 
Um, I actually started in the Flash and Flex world doing front-end development. Um, and the way I got into it was I was graduating high school and I didn't really know what to do with my life. So I, I ended up going to this conference about programming that I didn't really know too much about. And to break the ice and to kind of meet people there, I entered into this video contest. And I was like, do you know what? I have a background in music. I have a background in audio. I'm going to make uh, a, a technical rap song. And I made this uh, rap song called Flex Gangsta. And that was my, uh, that was, that was my <laughs> nice. name for a while. I, I, I did a couple rap songs um, after that. And I don't really talk about it too much anymore. Uh, <laughs> so, but I still have Code Gangsta floating around. And it, it's, it's kind of fun to, to see people every once in a while uh, be like, oh my gosh, you're, you're Code Gangsta, or you're Flex Gangsta, or you're Code Gangsta. And it, it's funny seeing certain implementations of the song. Like some people have it, uh, some people have one of the songs, which is uh, titled Who Broke the Build. Uh, it's nice. tied in with their Jenkins server. So if somebody actually breaks the build, they like send the video or send the song to them via email or it plays in the office. So, so uh, these tracks are out there to be, to be heard right now on the yeah, web. They're on, they're on YouTube. If you search flex gangsta, you would find them on YouTube. Nice. So you, then you switched to code gangsta cause you just figured you're going to get more abstract and just genericize your name or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. I left the flash world, um, oh, quite a while ago. And so it, it's not as relevant anymore. Uh, flexgangsta.com. Did you know there's a .com? I, I think that is my flexgangsta.com. Uh, there you that go. I haven't updated in a very long time. And you got who broke the build on there. That's awesome. We'll link out that in the show notes, but you can go to flexgangsta.com right now if you want to. But we'll in the show notes we'll have some some links out to it. Yeah, if you find me at a conference and buy me a drink, I might I might do some raps for you. Fair warning. Wow. Have you ever seen uh, Chris Anderson's uh, Couch DB song? It's Probably not quite as epic as your your uh, your rap. You know what? He, I have he not. He did that on the channel like a while a while ago. We we met him at uh, him and uh, Jan Leonard. We met them at uh, South by, and uh, we had uh, Chris Anderson right there. They were there obviously for South by, and, and he was just like he's a crazy guy, anyways. And he was just riffing, and uh, it's like bump bump couch DB. It's just like a little thing. I'll have to point back to the episode so y'all can listen to it, but it's pretty funny. Oh man, it must be a thing with coders. We like to we like to rap. That's right. It's the it's the way we communicate. <laughs> so code gangsta. So who would have known? Who would have thunk? You know. Who would have thunk? So Jeremy, I think the first time I I, I saw your name, I saw the code gangsta handle um, was on your blog, and you wrote a post that ended up kind of making the rounds, at least in the tech community, um, around your switch from Ruby to go. Um, specifically, I think it was around command line applications. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is kind of how like hacker news operates. If you write a post that is even remotely could even possibly be somewhat controversial, it will be on the front page and stay on the front page. And, that, that's precisely what happened, basically. Um, I, I wrote a post titled, On Distributing command, I, uh, command Line Applications, Why I Switched from Ruby to Go. You know, that sounds very, uh, it still sounds very nice. It still sounds very civil. Yeah. But instead, Hacker News chopped off that front part and just titled it, Why I Switched from Ruby to Go. Oh my <laughs> gosh, flame bait. And uh, yeah, definitely got a discussion going. Um, there was no intention to be controversial whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I simply came from a place where I was writing a lot of command line apps in Ruby, um, specifically like production facing command line apps that we were distributing to users who were not, who are not Rubyists. Um, so to, uh, one, we didn't want to distribute it as a Ruby gem because why Why be like, just use Ruby gems to a guy who's not writing Ruby. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, so we had to do all these crazy things like vendor our gems and, you know, distribute our own version of Ruby, package it up in an installer and like cross your fingers and hope it all works on, you know, somebody's distribution. Um, and that was just a very, very painful process to work out just to get Ruby running um, on somebody's machine. So I looked into some other alternatives, and it seemed like Go is uh, very, you know, very Unix-focused, so it means it's probably pretty good for the command line. And I just loved how simple it was to construct uh, really good command line applications that ran fast, that were compiled into a single binary and could be cross-compiled to multiple OSs. So that's, that's mainly why I wrote that, uh, wrote that blog post and, and wrote a library called CLI. Um, and it seems to be... People seem to be following in that same sentiment that's like, if you're not writing a tool for Rubyists to use while they're developing Ruby, you probably don't want to write a command line tool in Ruby. It's just, yeah. it's too painful. Which I think, I mean, just uh, we're hearkening back uh, to Katrina again. She had a similar experience with her exorcism command line client yeah. where she wanted it's exorcism true. to be not just Ruby focused, but, you know, there's Python uh, exercises, there's haskell i think now coffee script there's all sorts of languages and so she wanted to remove that dependency for people to use her tool um, from the command line uh, the ruby dependency so she ended up rewriting her command line piece and go so let me ask you this then if you're moving from distributing as a ruby gem and not requiring ruby you're distributing as go but is it still required then is go required uh no go allows you to cross compile um basically to a standalone binary, which is really great um, because it will it'll basically work on any OS that has libc pretty much. And so drop it into your bin folder. Hopefully you got that in your path and you're good to go. Yep, exactly. Um, and, and the great part I mentioned, cross-compiling, um, uh, in general, it, it is dependent on what you do, but in general you can cross-compile most applications, um, meaning like on my on my Mac box I can compile for Windows and different flavors of, of Linux and my Mac as well, um, and even stuff like ARM. And that way I can just like, here's a distribution, here's a release, and I just like build it all on one computer, which is, which is really great. Nice. So yeah, the fruit of that came uh, your project CLI.go. Are you still maintaining that? Is it ongoing or is it kind of a finished thing? And maybe explain exactly what it, what it provides. Yeah, so I am maintaining it. Um, there are going to be small little additions to it. The way the API is structured, it's not, uh, it's not meant to be changed a lot. And, and it kind of falls in line with the philosophy behind Go packages currently, hmm. um, which is keep master always backwards compatible. Um, and I haven't, there's been edge cases, obviously, to try to fix and, and some edge case problems. But in general, most people seem to be pretty happy with it. And it seems to be a very good starting point for creating command line apps and generating help docs and everything like that. But mm-hmm. I'll be honest, it's not the most extensible framework in the world. It was really just meant to be like, I don't want to think about, you know, help docs and parsing subcommands and parsing flags. I just want to start writing the, the actual meat of the code. And so that's what it does. And it, do, it tends to do it pretty well. And so I think that's where the popularity of the library came from. Right on. So 
you just kind of triggered a, a, a tangential question that I've been waiting to ask somebody who's who's <laughs> in the Go community. What's the the package management story in Go? Um, how does that fit into like if you're building a command line application or even with Martini? Um, is there? I know there's Go Get. Is that the is that the whole story? Yeah. So uh, right now the package solution or the the, the package management solution for, for Go is it just a very simple one. It's a very primitive one. You use Go Get. You can import uh, libraries with Go Get. The, the, the great part about how imports in Go Get works is that um, a path is a path is a path, meaning my library when I import it in my code is github.com slash codegangsta slash CLI. Um, that way, if it will first check locally on your computer if you have it. And if you don't, it will go and pull it down. So um, it, it's cool to have that kind of uniform identifier uh, so, with your code. So that's why you got to keep master good. Yeah, so that's why you got to keep master good. Is there's no um, as of right now, there's no built-in idea of versioning, and that is mm -hmm. intentional. Uh, it, it is intentional at least for the moment, um, because a lot of the Go maintainers want you to build packages that are useful and that do uh, that are small that do you know a certain set of things very well that aren't going to be, you know, completely innovative, innovated and iterated upon during its development cycle. Um, there are some, there are some initiatives for bringing in things like versioning because we realize that's like theoretically a really cool idea, but in practice it's, it, it can be harmful depending on, you know, how many dependencies you're pulling in mm -hmm. and how you're managing those. And I know there are external tools for doing them that I use for certain projects. And there's some other solutions that I've been uh, working on as well, uh, specifically with regards to Martini and CLI, um, to be able to iterate on those packages for people to be able to pull in versions uh, that are different. So, You mentioned, Jared, you mentioned go get. And are mm -hmm. you going to allude to the fact of like go unget? Because I don't know how to not get. Long story short, <laughs> I don't either. You know what I mean? Like if I if I if I go get something, I want to like let's say uninstall, remove it. How do you uninstall things? Um, you remove the folder where it's at. See, that's so. what I thought, and that's what I was doing. I was like, am I an idiot or something? So uh, at least I'm not an idiot. Hey man, you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, is that the? Pers I mean, is that really the way that? Is it just because Go is somewhat new and the things are still kind of evolving how things should work and? Yep, I think I think we're since Go is still a fairly new language, fairly new technology, um, and it's very grounded in Unix philosophies. So a pure Unix guy would be like, "Yeah, there's no problem deleting a folder. That's what you do. That's what folders right. are for. That's what directories are for, and that's what the file system's for." Um, but I could understand it being a roadblock for people who are used to having tools take care of a lot of things for them. Um, I think even though the folder it comes in has a bunch of other stuff in it, so I'm like. Should I delete that stuff? You know, mm -hmm. I guess as a someone coming in that with lack of experience in it, I'm like, you, you kind of have a, an, a, an immediate uh, bit of fear. You know, should mm -hmm. I do that? Will what what's the cause of it? Or what would happen if I do do that? Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, you've got your Go directory that's got bin package and source in there, and you got like, do I just delete it all? Delete some of it? And then you're, you're you know, that's that's where I that's where I was like, I'm not sure. Adam, I think the answer for you is you keep Jeremy available on Skype. Okay. And then you just throw these questions at him as you go. That's right. You'll just That's right. I'm, I'm here all night. <laughs> 
So you so so you do this command line app, and you enjoy distributing command line applications with Go. Are you doing this for your for your work as well, or is it all for play? Uh, for command line stuff, it's all for play in general. Uh, we do use some of the tools. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them, um, one of them I'm working on is called Envy. It's an environment bootstrapper, and it, it, if you're used to working with web frameworks like you know express and node.js or or rails and ruby there's a concept of a .env file which is basically saying we want to store our configuration in in our environment we don't want to like run a run a shell script every time to like bootstrap our environment and we obviously don't want to like have anything checked into the repo um, for that stuff because we're dealing with passwords and to, you know tokens for authentication for certain services so you have a .env file that declares all that stuff, and it's local to your machine, um, so you can set it up and manipulate mm-hmm. it however you want. Uh, so this this env bootstrapper called Envy allows you to do this in a generic way. Um, most .env implementations are tied to the language you use them in, like Node.js or uh, JavaScript for Node.js or uh, Ruby for Rails. This one's very generic. All you do is you call Envy, and then you pass whatever command you want after it, and it will bootstrap the environment and then run the command. Uh, that way you have all your environment variables present to you, and you they're all declared inside of a file. So it's really, really cool for running servers. It's great for development, uh, for web development, for command line development, for uh, any of those things. Nice. So you do that one for work. Where'd Martini uh, come from? Was this just a natural extension of, of building command line applications? And now you said, okay, now I want to build my web applications in Go. Yep. So Martini uh, came out of, I, I do uh, web work for uh, my day job. And I wanted to, I was building some Angular front ends and we were looking at a new project and we're looking at doing, you know, a more distributed architecture. We, we were usually a Rails shop. And in these new projects, we're writing Node.js, we want to write Go, we want to write some more you know, Ruby and Rails, and we just want, basically want to find the best tool for the job for each uh, particular section of our application. So that made me excited because I was playing with Go for command line stuff already. And so I started playing with Go for the web, and I played with a bunch of other frameworks, and I built a couple projects in different frameworks just to get a, get a feel for them. And I was having a hard time finding... Uh, just a sense of reusability among those web frameworks. I know like Ruby has Rack and they unify on on Rack in general, all the mm-hmm. web frameworks in Ruby. And and Node.js kind of, they have quite a few frameworks that unify on Connect. And so I wanted to create some sort of middleware stack um, that one, gophers would like um, that wouldn't be too far flung from the original Go net HTTP library. And two, stuff that people would actually build value on. Uh, I'm a big, um, big proponent on on building value. When you're writing code, you should be writing something that's valuable. Um, and so I started Martini as kind of a container for that. Uh, Martini itself doesn't do like extremely useful things. It's it's mainly just architecture and and a lot of sugar to be able to create a lot of valuable components that are reusable across multiple types of web applications. Cool. Just pausing a second on the name, and I, I believe I, I I read you say this on the mailing list, but I, I don't recall the name Martini, and then you know the the tagline is classy web development in Go. Uh, it just calls to mind that that kind of epic spilled Martini error page of Sinatra. Is Sinatra like the primary inspiration for Martini? 
Yeah, Sinatra is definitely one of them. Express from Node.js is is another. Those are both fantastic uh, frameworks. They they focus on simplicity and, and modularity and and elegance. And Martini sounded really cool. I mean, it's a it, Martini's obviously a mixed drink. Um, you know, in, in this time, there's like so many. You can call any cocktail martini nowadays. It's not just gin and vermouth. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. when I think of a web app, I think you know there's different requirements for for any kind of web app or service, and and I can't just make a set of like middleware or a set of components that everybody's going to use. They're all going to create their own, and that's when I thought of like, okay, it's like a cocktail. It's like a martini. Like, sure, I don't like apple teenies, but the person next to me really likes apple teenies, and I don't believe an apple teeny is a real martini. But that doesn't matter. The guy mm-hmm. still likes his apple teeny, <laughs> and I, I feel the same way about the web. Um, you can have whatever opinions you want, but martini tries to be a good container for uh, creating kind of your own cocktail your web cocktail of sorts cool so martini provides um uh, just the core martini we'll talk about martini contrib which i believe is like you know provides way more stuff but Mm -hmm. the martini proper library um basically it's a middleware stack that has a routing layer in it and some sort of dependency injection is that is that the gist of it or is there more that i'm missing though that's pretty much the gist of it okay so then the contrib libraries were all the other, because I mean, beyond that, most web apps are going to need, you know, uh, session handling, CSR, CSRF protection, uh, mm. you know, a whole host of things that, that kind of people become used to. Um, yep. Is that what stuff lives in contrib? Yeah, yeah. So uh, to, to go back to Martini for a sec, I was building, uh, I, I was mainly building Martini for, for two different kinds of web apps uh, for my application. It was... Uh, REST-based, you know, services that they're just serving JSON. So, and they're talking to other services, not even talking to a browser. So, there, there is even no use for like cookie-based sessions or anything like that. So that's that. That might be the answer to why some middlewares are in Martini Contrib rather than Martini itself. Gotcha. And um, I kind of just wanted to elaborate more on the dependency injection. Some people really shy away when I use the word dependency injection mm-hmm. uh, because they're like, oh my gosh, Java IOC containers. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be terrible. I was thinking just that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, I actually have a love for dependency injection when it's used well. And it's actually mm-hmm. my, uh, it starts to become whenever I'm picking up a new language, I, I tend to be like, okay, I'm going to write like a dependency injection system to see how I can make modular code. Uh-huh. with this language. So if you look at my GitHub, I have like one in C sharp, one in action script, one in JavaScript. Um, I I've written not on GitHub, but I've written one for objective C and, uh, obviously go and Ruby. So I I've kind of played a lot with how, like how to manage dependencies within applications. And I try to find the best fit for one. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, and a lot of people absolutely love it because it, it really extends the modularity of Martini, the way the dependency injection works is you just you map something by a type in Go. Go is strongly typed. It's statically typed. So you can you have types everywhere, right? And right. You, you, you map something that's a type. Let's say it's like a database. You have this database connection, and you map it to Martini, either on a global or a request level. And every one of your Martini handlers, which is really just a function, they can ask for that dependency in their argument list. So it's very close to if you're used to using Angular um, for 
for front end stuff, their dependency injection works uh, kind of the same way on functions where you just ask for it and it gives it to you. Yep. Uh, it's so brain dead. It's very intuitive. It's super easy to test because now you have functions that don't actually reach outside of itself. It all just goes in through its argument list. So that's kind of how the dependency injection works and why I try to encourage people to not shy away from from that word as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to try to say like it's something else because it really still is dependency injection, um, just not in the way that most people would think. Let's pause the show for just a minute and give a shout out to our sponsor, TopTile. For those of you out there who are freelancing or maybe you'd like to freelance or even kind of try out a freelance like project while you're maintaining your full-time position, you have to check out TopTile. TopTile is a new rapidly growing network of some of the most elite engineers in the world. They're distributed all across the globe. Their primary focus is connecting their ecosystem of top engineers and top companies. You work on special projects with companies like Airbnb, IDO, Zendesk, and many others. You can work remotely, on a beach, or anywhere in the world. Uh, to get started, head to toptow.com slash developer and click join TopTow. That's a nice big old green button. You cannot miss it. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash developer. I think Angular um, is kind of warming up more people to the idea and the and the benefits that the dependency inze- injection provides. So I think Martini fits in, fits in nicely there. Um, you know, there's a whole host of of options in the go community for web development in fact we had even a roundup post late last year um a guest post that laid out a whole bunch of options where does martini fit into that ecosystem um were you aware of a lot of the options when you started building it and um what do you think its advantages are um, Martini has a couple advantages and it also has some disadvantages uh, from a pure benchmarking standpoint Martini is not the fastest framework uh, and it and it's not supposed to be. That wasn't my goal in writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. There's part of me that believes that Go is fast enough for most applications. And if somebody is just looking at Hello World benchmarks, that they're not they're not doing their job as far as uh, analyzing a framework. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, what Martini brings in is because of how the dependency injection works and how uh, dynamic it is in that nature. It is backwards compatible with all Go Net HTTP handlers, which is a really, really cool feature because things like Gorilla HTTP and other handlers that people have published kind of that work around um, the Go Net HTTP interface, they can just throw those in Martini and they just work. Um, nice. And, and that's, that's kind of, that wasn't necessarily an intended thing. That was like I was writing Martini one day and I popped up in my mind is like this needs to be like a bullet point on the on the martini feature list because it's actually really cool yeah and uh, so that's one of the features and the other feature is just the kind of tags along with that is reusability um you know the middleware stack the routing stack the fact that you uh there's this kind of you you ubiquity between handler functions whether or not it's middleware or whether or not it's handling a route like it doesn't matter it's all the same uh it's just kind of the elegance of that, and it's it's really just building blocks. People find out like the core features of Martini, and they come up with some really creative ways. I love looking at the mailing list because somebody's like, "I'm writing code like this," and I look at it, I'm like, "Wow, that's so cool!" 
uh, or somebody goes, this is how I do content negotiation with dependency injection and how I like observe, you know, what people want to render out as a struct. And based on, you know, the header, I can then like, you know, throw it out as JSON or throw it out as XML or throw it out as HTML or whatever. And so like people solving real world web problems using those core building blocks that I didn't necessarily build myself, you know, I didn't build content negotiation into Martini. Somebody figured that out through the the building blocks that were laid out. So I find I find that awesome. It's just super awesome to see. That's kind of neat how you can lay down a, a set of breadcrumbs and uh, you know kind of walk away because your needs are different, but others pick it up and take it there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm looking at the list of available components in the Martini dash contrib repository. You got auth binding, gzip, render, accept lang sessions. It goes on and on and on. I'm assuming you didn't write all these, and this is these have been community contributed. Is that fair? Yep, a lot of them have been community contributed. I've contributed to, um, I, I wrote render and sessions and auth and uh, contributed to a couple others. But for the most part, all the rest are, um, you know, fully community community contributed. Nice. So, did you expect this this amount of contributions, or were you kind of surprised at Martini's success and how you know people have uh, contributed to the project? Oh, I've been absolutely blown away by the reception of the project. I, I wasn't, I honestly was not sure at all what the Go community would think of it because because of uh, the use of reflection. Let's say I know that's like sounds like such a petty thing to worry about, but um, some communities could be really hardcore about use of reflection, and I have gotten a little bit of friction. But in general, people. People have come to be pretty understanding and be like, yeah, Martini's not the fastest thing on the block. And me saying that is like we're talking about nanoseconds here. It's nanoseconds slower than, you know, the next framework or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, man, you can write some awesome code with it and, and very clean code. Um, one so what, example. What is, oh, good. I was just going to ask you for an example. Go ahead. Oh, cool. So one example, and this could be linked in the show notes, is I wrote a blog post for the Go Advent Calendar, which was a really awesome event put on by Brian Kettleson over at Gopher Academy and Eric St. Martin. And um, they organized this 25 days of Christmas kind of thing, and e- each and every single day was accompanied by a blog post by a community member in the Go community. And uh, I wrote for day 11, I think, uh, about how to build a simple Christmas list app in Martini using some Martini contrib um, packages like Render, which is for HTML templating and rendering. And um, what else did I use? I also uh, created, I showed people how to create a MongoDB session and use that. And I also used Bind to bind form, uh, par- or post form. Uh, parameters to a struct in Go and to use those to um, declaratively do that. And it all, all in all, it was this full, like, you know, kind of crud-like wish list application in like 150 lines of Go. It was, it was surprisingly concise and extremely readable. And it's a, it's a really cool example to point people to because they're like, whoa, like you're, you're mapping a database and it, and it works concurrently and it does all this cool stuff. And it's, it's really readable. Very cool. So as I mentioned in the pre-show, I had opportunity um, kind of right when Martini first came out to use it at, at a local hackathon. We have a, an event here. Uh, I'm, in, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. We have an event called uh, Hack Omaha, and our team got to, got to kind of expose some civic data via JSON API, and we, we chose Martini and had a lot of fun using it. One of the pain points, perhaps the only pain point I can remember, 
at the time was uh, there's no there was no live reload, which you just kind of come to you get spoiled and you're like, man, I want my I want to make my change and not have to restart my uh, my little app server. Is that still the case with Martini, or are there options to to get live reload, or was it already out there and I had I just didn't find it? Yeah, so there are options out there. Um, there are two. One of which is written by uh, by me, um, and the other one is written by I'm going to totally butcher his name, Andreas France, and he is um, he's an Italian uh, GoLang community member, and he has a he actually has a web framework called Traffic that's actually quite good. Um, he wrote a project called Fresh that is still generic to a lot of web applications, and that um, that's a command line app that simply does live reload, and that's very good. I've looked at the source. He's he's a very good programmer, and I really like his stuff. Um, the other application is called Gin, uh, which is you can go find it at GitHub.com/slash/CodeGangsta/slash/Gin, and it's not fully documented. I still have to put together a readme and we're still kind of in the growing pains phases of it because it's still fairly new. But I use it every day for Martini and it does a couple of really cool things. It sets up a proxy server to actually serve the requests so we can do cool things like if there are compile errors, we can show them to you in the browser. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can also um, compile, instead of instead of rerunning the app every time after a compile, we actually only rerun the app after you've compiled recompiled and when a request comes in. So it's very much like how the play framework does uh, their live reload. Um, And it also adheres to the silence is golden principle when it comes to compiles. So you can keep saving your files anytime you want and it won't actually like output anything until you have a compile error and then it will let you know that the compile has been successful. So it's a really cool tool. It doesn't bother you too much. It's so transparent. Um, all, you don't even need to pass it any configuration. It works with Martini out of the box. You just hit Gin, and it just works. Nice. Yeah, looking at that repo now, and uh, the readme says Gin, the web development server for Go. And that's all. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely fresh. It would be nice to get it uh, when we can get a little bit more up there so I can at least try this somehow. Pretty cool. Yep, you're putting a fire under my butt now. So I need to, <laughs> by the time this gets posted, you'll see a readme. It'll be like all fleshed out. I'll be like, ah, nice. Yeah, that's a light readme. Yeah. Shame, shame. So oh, how no. how have you handled the uh, or, or dealt with or um, enjoyed the community contributions? Um, Seems like you have a very active mailing list. You have very active repositories. Um, has it been an adjustment period? Has it been pretty easy? And what are your philosophies around community? Um, it's, it, it was really, really busy at first. Um, I mean, it re- as far as like GitHub stargazers go, it really shot up in popularity. And there was a time where I was receiving a lot of issue requests, a lot of pull requests. And um, the last thing I wanted to do was just like be lazy about it and be like, I'll just merge this, I'll just merge this. Uh, because part of Martini is about writing clean code, and um, I really pride myself on that. There's many uh, – I got a lot of feedback from people, and there was just uh, an immediate surprise that, like, you know, Martini – it's probably not the case anymore. But when, within the first couple of weeks of release, it was under a 1,000 lines of code, and it did so much. And it had the possibility to do so much um, through through extending it. And so – I wanted to keep the code clean. I wanted to keep the code concise, and I was receiving a lot of pull requests. So, um, it was good. I mean, you don't want to turn people down when they're when they're writing code and they're passionate about a project and they want to give 
the code to the project. Um, so my philosophy behind pull requests is you don't have to accept every pull request. It's okay. People will understand. But you've got to communicate it. I mean, you have to, you have to, rather than just saying, no, I'm not going to merge this in, it's better to take that passion that they put together into that code because everybody kind of puts their heart into code. I, I believe you really, you know, you have to do something. If you're contributing to open source, you're definitely, you're definitely passionate about it in a way. Um, I, I want to steer that passion into something that in some place where it'd be more useful. So if Martini is not the best fit for this piece of code or this um, API that somebody wrote, I want to be like, you know what, this would be awesome as a third-party library. And you know what, I'd be happy to link it in the Martini readme if it's great. Um, and so that's kind of been my philosophy with with Martini specifically because it needs to be such a clean, lean code base. Um, Martini Contrib, I'm a little looser on uh, accepting code, especially from just philosophical reasons. Like if somebody puts up a package that I wouldn't necessarily use, but it's very well-structured code and... Um, uh, I will definitely accept it in because it seems useful for other people. And um, that's just kind of been the case. I'm a little looser. I also give Martini Contrib uh, package owners. I, I do give them ownership of the package by adding them as a collaborator on the repo. So I'm not the only one directly contributing to uh, Martini Contrib. Like once somebody puts together a package, let's say binding, um, I gave uh, those two guys collaborator privileges so they can update that package without having to put up a pull request all the time. That's why you actually have that in your readme too, where you say if you're, if you contribute a package yourself, you can, so well, so you can, so you can fix it. You say, I will automatically add as a contributor if you contribute a package. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a good way to do it. I mean, it seems like that approach does make sense too as a, as a maintainer, because you kind of get to set some of the ground rules and the guidelines, which, you know, let's, let's be honest where Jared, I know you have kids, but you know, when you have kids, it's kind of like having kids in this case, kind of taking us far on the left, but follow me here <laughs> is that like, if you're doing something like this, like this is your baby, right? So you want yeah. this to go a certain direction and without that discipline and, and whatnot, I'll just go and act like a, like a bad teenager. So you got to kind of keep them in order uh, and those kind of put down some, um, you know, some fence poles to say, you know, don't go beyond these areas and that would work better as a, as an external library or whatever. So you're kind of setting some ground rules for how the ecosystem can play out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, so far it seems like the community's really been great. I was telling my wife this this morning when I was just talking about <laughs> Martini and I'm really excited to see that, um, that community has reciprocated in a way. I, Sometimes I look at GitHub repositories and I look at mailing lists and there's a little bit of hostility. And I think part of that um, is, you know, contributors can tend to look up to, um, you know, the owner of the repository as an overall attitude uh, for for the repo. So if people are asking questions, um, you know, it, it will it's kind of a, a reflection of the owner. Um, so when I see things on Martini, somebody asking questions, seeing other community members coming in and being extremely nice about how to lay out questions for people who are new or 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 guiding them in the right way, I like I just I have a lot of hope um, for for the actual project because people yeah. are extremely nice not only in answering other people's questions but also you know putting together an issue. I, I love when people, and this happens so often where they're like, oh, I'm having a bug with this and they describe their bug. And then the last sentence is, by the way, Martini is like so 
so awesome. Thank you so much for putting this together. And that really, as a, as a maintainer, that just really brightens up my day. And it's cool to see that that's a reflection of that part of the community as a whole. In the, uh, I guess, I guess we'll call that pre-show. We were chatting before the actual show. So that's the pre-show, right? Uh, you were kind of talking about some of the things you're doing at Kajabi and, uh, which is your day job where you kind of like get the hack on stuff and you're doing some things in Go there, but you've also done some other things in Node and you kind of have this Go versus Node kind of Wild West mentality. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. And it's honestly, I, I'm a pragmatist. I use a bunch of different tools, so I'm not necessarily tied to either one. Um, I just look at the problem and I find what the best tool for the job is. And the the sentiment around the office here at Kajabi is that Node is good enough for most part, for the most part, uh, meaning, yeah, you can write web apps in it and you can grow web apps in it and that's perfectly fine. It's not, it's not like it's a horrible technology. Um, I would just say it's probably not my preference. If I were to write a personal project, I probably wouldn't go to node first, um, unless there was something I absolutely needed from that community, um, and from that ecosystem. But it, yeah, like you mentioned, it kind of feels like the Wild West out there. Um, things kind of breaking silently. And, and it seems to be an accepted part of the community, and that's fine. I mean, people focus on, you know, certain aspects um, of a language and, and disregard others. Uh, I know there's blind spots in every single language community. It just it bums me out sometimes when I'm using some sort of package or, or library in JavaScript and it's just, Oh, I failed. And I'm not going to tell you why something just went wrong. Um, and that seems to be accepted an accepting an accepted debugging practice is to find out what goes wrong. It's just not my, my style. Uh, technologies like go will pretty much tell you straight out, like what, what's going on. There's not a ton of unknown, like what, what the heck does this mean? <laughs> kind of errors. Since we're talking about uh, Node and Go a little bit, um, this last show, episode 116, we had Aaron Hammer on. He's from Walmart Labs, and he obviously just had this great success story with Node and, ba and Black Friday and, um, you know, you know, hailing banners, balloons everywhere, confetti, all that good stuff. It's like, you know, super wild party. Um, because know that some, some awesome stuff for them and Black Friday. Are there any stories, um, I guess, similar or somewhat the same that happen in the Go ecosystem that you know of that you can tell? I mean, there's the obvious Google one where they uh, replaced their download server with Go, which was basically, you know, net HTTP's file server. Um, that source is right there in the in the Go standard library. So there's that obvious one, and um, there's a good blog post on it. You'll, you'll probably be able to find it and stick it in the show notes um, by Brad Fitzpatrick um, covering it. And the, there's, there's a couple others that I know of. Um, I might have to give you links after the show. But uh, in general, it's a lot of SaaS companies. Um, I know Iron.io uses a lot of, a lot of Go. I know... Um, Matt Amonetti at Splice, they, they've converted a lot of their back-end tech to be using Go and very successfully. And I, I think if you, you even watch sites like Hacker News, almost daily you find some sort of Go hate and Go uh, success story yeah. kind of paired together. It's kind of wild. I mean, and I think that's what some of the listeners listen to this podcast for. It's kind of like 
get a heartbeat on which technology is kind of maybe leading the way or going to lead the, lead the way. And, and maybe that's part of our role here, which is to have guests on that can kind of help at least somewhat field those kinds of questions. But you know, it seems like Node and Go, or they're both, I mean, Go is a language and Node is, um, you know, I guess not really a language, it's JavaScript. It's sort of a framework on top of V8, but, um, you know, they're going both in a good direction and you've obviously don't really have ties to, to one or the other. You're kind of like whichever tool best fits it. But a lot of people in the Node community seems to be, seem to be like, um, very, very pro JavaScript, you know, like forget everything else, write it in JavaScript. Everything is JavaScript. And there's a merit to that. Um, mainly from, I would say from a training perspective, some might disagree with me, but I'll tell you this, the junior developer at my, um, you know, here at Kajabi, like we can teach him how to write a node app and he'll feel productive in it. Even though he's been only writing, you know, Ruby and maybe some front end JavaScript, but he'll feel comfortable in that. And I'd say Go in the same respect is very similar to that. Go is not a difficult language to pick up. Actually, one of the criticisms of Go is that it's too minimal. It's too Mm -hmm. simple. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing in every case. And I think it really depends on what, what part of the industry you're in. Um, my, my side of the industry, we're a very small shop. We're very consumer-facing. Um, we build real products for real people. And um, we, we deal like with that's at our forefront every day. So if the, the technology is a means to an end for us, we're not doing a ton of bit twiddling. We're not doing extremely high scalability, crazy um, computing. So for us to write our systems in Haskell would be like very counterproductive. Um, no doubt that like there's a there's an extreme use case for Haskell and there's a very good use case for writing a correct program. But I'm not going to sit down and teach a junior developer here at Kajabi Haskell. Um, it's just not going to be productive for our use case. Let's pause the show for just a second and give a shout out to our sponsor, New Relic. New Relic is a software analytics company that helps make sense of billions of metrics across millions of applications all in real time. One thing developers are really focused on this year is seamless application performance across multiple platforms on all their devices. It sounds simple, but making an application work consistently well on lots of different devices, all with different operating systems, running different types of software, that's super complex. And you might be going through this right now. Well, how complex is it? Back in the old days, like 2007, it was basically impossible to know how your application would perform once you shut the production. If you remember those days, we'd all spend a ton of time doing internal bug hunts and eventually just cross our fingers and hope for the best. We'd ship our code and we'd sit around monitoring Twitter and whatever other comms traffic we could do to kind of see how well our apps were or were not performing. And thankfully, those days are behind us now. New Relic lets us track our application performance down to the end user level, all in real time. This means that we can spot problems, find bugs, and fix our code fast, way before our users even notice anything is wrong. So go check out New Relic by visiting our special URL. It's newrelic.com slash a changelog. Learn more about what they're doing, how they can help you. Use our special offer code, the changelog, to take advantage of a special 30-day extended free pro trial available exclusively to our listeners. Head to newrelic.com slash the changelog. So speaking of teaching, we would be remiss not to bring up gophercasts. 
Yes. Which appears to be a fledgling uh, project, but very cool. This is gophercasts.io, and um, you could imagine it's screencasts for learning and teaching Go. Can you talk about it? Yeah, so I, I started this up with my uh, with my longtime buddy Nate Beck, and it's it's basically you know what it says it is. I, when I released Martini, I also had a accompanying demo video to go along with the source code, and that demo video was um, way better received than I thought it would be, and a lot of people watched it, and a lot of people were, got interested in the project because of it. And still to this day, I, I look at GitHub recently released uh, statistics for repositories, so I take a look at those, and I'm like, wow, there's so many people that are coming from the video. Like there's still people watching the video, which is it blows my mind. And feedback from that video um, was very positive. People loved the pacing, and uh, it was suggested a lot to me and asked a lot of me if I would start creating screencasts just to teach about Go in general and about the technologies and the projects that are out there. Um, so that's why we started. Uh, that's why we started GopherCasts. And I have a background in audio. Nate has a background in audio and video, and uh, so we have very, very particular needs when it comes to producing screencasts like this. So if you go to gophercasts.io, you'll see very high production quality. Um, they're very, uh, very well-paced videos, in my opinion. They, um, they're very digestible. They're all three to five minutes long. Um, and uh, li like it was mentioned, it's, they're very, very, the site is very young. So you'll probably only see a few videos up there, but we plan on releasing uh, at least weekly episodes. And I guess since we're talking about uh, the site itself, is it written in Martini? <laughs> no, the site is not written in Martini. And let me tell you why. Uh, at first, I wanted to write it in Go. And my, my buddy, Nate, he is not a Go programmer. He's picking up Go, and he's learning Go, and he's, um, you know, he's asking me all these questions, and we're, we're kind of you know, trudging through it together. Um, we actually ended up writing the service in Rails, and there's a couple reasons why. One of them, uh, one of the reasons why was kind of prompted by Joel Hooks, who wrote a blog post on how he converted Egghead IO, which is an Angular JS screencast uh, put on by John Lindquist and Joel Hooks. Now, um, he mentioned why he wrote his site in Rails and why he didn't use something like Node.js and Angular or something like that, and. You know, it goes goes back to a lot of my philosophy with building things is you use the best tool for the job. Um, I'm going to be transparent and say, like, GopherCast will not always be, you know, f all free, everything free. We do plan on feeling out the community, seeing, you know, what it brings, what people like, what people don't like. And we want to offer, you know, something that will keep us going to keep us producing super high quality screencasts and, and to see what people are willing to pay for it, because I think people are willing to pay for quality content. So building things like a, like a publishing pipeline for video and, you know, tying in with like subscription services like Stripe and, and dealing with payments. We already know how to do that in, in Rails. And for us to do it in Go is possible, but it's not the most productive at the time. Um, Martini was built you know, to make tiny services and, and smaller websites and, in a more distributed computing fashion. And so um, that was the reason that we mainly chose to write it in Rails. And it's it's been fine. We've had a couple of people that are like, oh, it's written in Rails and not Go, but <laughs> uh, overall, I mean, it's useful for people. Well, I think what you said earlier with um, 
uh, with with Martini when you first started it out, like your point wasn't to make a Rails web framework. It was meant to be like a web services web framework, you know, to to kind of interact between different services. So in that case, you know, you're totally you're on point. Yeah, absolutely. It's using the best tool for the job. We don't have to we don't have to just like one technology. I like a lot of technologies. You know, there's a lot of things that bother me about Rails, but I still use it every day. And you know what? It's really productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know Jared and I have been talking about some different stuff we want to do with the change log. And uh, he, he always, I'm going to call you out on this, Jared. He's like, I'll, I'll do if you let me write it and go. <laughs> and <Yeah>. so <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's the, the inner desire of Jared who just wants to write it and go or what, or if he's just, uh, if he thinks that's the best tool for the job, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, More, I'm the same way. I want to just write stuff and go. And Nate had to calm me down and be like, let's pull this back. And kind of in retrospect for the site, I'm glad we have it in Rails. Will it maybe be in Go eventually? Probably. It'll probably be in Go eventually. But right now we are able to ship and show yeah. people our screencasts. And most importantly, we are able to show people content. Yeah. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. Just to defend myself slightly here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about throwing you under the bus there. Yeah. Sorry about that. The reason why I want to do that is not some sort of idealism. It's because I was saying that let's learn something as we build this. You know, it's kind of a side thing, and let's let's learn Go and these different things as we build it. And then Adam's saying, this thing's going to be a production. You know, like this is going to be our next version. We can't we can't <laughs> put you know newbie code out there. So you know, ultimately, he's going to win that that argument. But. That was some of my thinking behind doing it in Go. I was mostly just looking for new projects to start in Go. And I was like, oh, sure, let's yeah. do it in Go. Well, hey, some things are best learned in production, right? <laughs> That's true. That's I don't true. always test my code, but when I do. I test it in production. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, what, what else do we want to talk about, Jared? I know we talked about GopherCast. Was one of, I'm, I'm super excited about that, by the way. I'm really glad that you listened to the community and, and decided to do that because I do think that Martini video was well done. And 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 to your credit, I definitely think you have a nice, smooth pace for those videos. And keeping them under five minutes um, is definitely perfect. I mean, sure, seven minutes, eight minutes—that's okay. But five minutes is like a quick idea, enough to get them running. Whomever's listening, and it's just like in and out. Like, let me take a break from whatever I'm, I'm doing and and just. Maybe listen to something brand new, you know, go from maybe design to to listening to a gopher cast and kind of get some some new knowledge. Yep. Ideally, what you want to do is you want to you want to trigger that spark in somebody's mind to start creating instead of just copying and pasting the source or or figuring out some sort of quick fix. They're watching the video so they can get inspired. Mm -hmm. um, And that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh, well, let's loop back around. Yeah, back to, let's, I got one more question about Martini, and then maybe Adam can do his, his closing questions. But um, you, you kind of got started in Go because you liked the deployment of these distributed command line applications. Um, how do you deploy a Martini application, a web app, to the to production? Um, it, it's in a similar fashion, and there's a couple different ways you can deploy it. I know Heroku, if if anybody's used to working with Heroku, um, it's a very easy deploy process for Martini. Um, it's the same as any other Go web app. Um, what One really cool thing about Martini is, um, and this was a point for contention among a couple people, but Martini uses, uh, to configure the port, you have to configure the port environment variable. You actually don't do it inside the app. And the reason for that is for deployment purposes. In a lot of environments, 
um, especially around kind of shared hosting or, 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 or neighbor hosting, you have the port set, you know, in the environment automatically by the service provider. So deploying a Martini app um, using the Go build pack and Heroku is brain dead simple. You don't do anything different. You just push up your code with a Go build pack uh, via Git and it just works. Um, How about non-Heroku uh, style? So, so non-Heroku style would be uh, simply compiling your app for the platform that you're in, or pushing your code to the the box that um, the box that is going to be hosted on and compiling it there, okay. and just making sure that any sort of asset folders you have um, are are existing, you know, right next to where the binary is run at. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there, there's another project called Go Bin Data which actually com- can compile your assets in as Go source code. So it's all one fat binary. Um, and there's a couple projects that actually do cool. that. Yeah, yeah. One of which is, and I don't know if you guys use this tool, but it, I'm going to totally uh, pimp it out because it's it's an awesome tool. Is Ngrok is a tunneling service and tool um, built in Go. I think, and, we, I think we covered that. We linked to that on the change log a while back. So oh, I have, okay. I've seen it, but I, I haven't used it personally. Well, it's a fantastic tool, and it has its own web interface that uses like Bootstrap and pulls in all this JavaScript and stuff. But the the rad thing is, all that stuff is hosted, you know, locally. But it's all in one single binary. It's still one binary for wow. all of the assets. Um, so that's another cool way. Depending on what kind of asset you're serving, and if you want to just pull them off of you know memory or pull it all into memory when you mm-hmm. run the program, like it depends on what you're really doing. But there's kind of something really. Uh, there's there's a lot of excitement around thinking, oh, I could just drag and drop this one file onto a computer and it's deployed. Yeah, for sure. And then would you suggest behind behind a proxy like Nginx or a proxy, or would you just throw it on port eighty and let the thing roll? You could you could certainly throw it on port eighty and let it roll. And there's some services that I've deployed that have that. Um, but Nginx is such a huge boon to any sort of um, to really any sort of web app that. Um, for things like caching and even static file serving, I would recommend probably in production using mm-hmm. Nginx over Martini's, you know, static handler, just because of efficiency, um, the, the knowledge that's out there, the documentation that's out there, yeah. um, and, and speed. So, so future of Martini, uh, big plans, little plans. What are you thinking? Um, Probably little plans. Uh, again, I want to keep Martini consistent and small. There's not a whole lot left to add to it, but there's certainly a lot of value that can be built up over in packages and handlers and middlewares, especially in the Martini Contrib repository. There will be a point where Martini Contrib will hit critical mass, but I'm hoping by that time Martini will be popular enough to where it's valuable for somebody to publish a separate package on GitHub that people will then recognize, oh, it's for Martini, and they can actually pull it in and use it. It hasn't reached that point yet because the Go community is still fairly small, and so Martini Contrib kind of acts as that curation, a one place where everybody can go to see, like, what are the latest cool packages to use? Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what 2014 brings in in terms of Go and their their versioning story, because that has come up a couple times with Martini. I have some solutions of my own that I'm kind of working on in secret. Ooh, um, ooh. <laughs> but um, I'm hoping I'm hoping I can bring Martini to a version 1.0 where I uh, where obviously the API won't have any um, breaking changes, and and I try my best not to break any m- most changes, but there are 
There is one change in particular which will break a you know one little thing that nobody really uses, um, and once I bring it to one zero, it's it's not going to break from there. So I'll probably apply uh, the semantic versioning principle to that and be able to um, to develop the code from there. Cool, Jerry. With your with your uh, question, I guess on the future of of Martini, do you think you meant from a contrasting difference between say a framework like rails is that what you meant by that because i was kind of curious if you know martini's expectation is to be something like rails ever in the future to be that kind of web development framework i was mostly just trying to get just a general idea of where he was going to take it next but i think probably and jeremy correct me if i'm wrong i think the answer to that is probably not gonna is no you yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I mean, no. yes, no is the answer. I, I yeah, I said that I'm, sentence oddly, but yeah, that's that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's there is. I mean, there's uh, Revel, um, which is you know kind of in the spirit of of a framework like Rails, where it 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 its goal is to be very productive, and it does a lot of things for you, and that's not um, the space that Martini's trying to um, occupy at all. Um, which is good because part, you know, the way I structured Martini, I was kind of being lazy about it. I was like, I don't want to like spend a million hours like maintaining this. And I don't want to have like a million like to do's um, on this project. And so, and, and that's been, that's been somewhat successful. I haven't yeah. had to contribute a whole lot of code to Martini, you know, relatively a whole lot of code. So what's the, um, what's the end users say then whenever they think, okay, Revel or Martini, how do they make their choice? What are some of the things they should ask themselves? Um, really what kind of app are you building and, um, you know, what, what you want your, what you want your maintenance to, to look like because, uh, building something off of a minimal framework and then a full featured framework have, uh, they both have uh, different maintenance stories. I'm not saying one is worse than the other in particular. I'm just saying they, there's different ways to maintain it. You know, rails, like something like rails, I feel like we build, layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer and with a minimal code base um, maintenance looks a little different it's a little easier to rip stuff out and to rethink the problem if um, if requirements change Um, and you know you you kind of mentioned it earlier and you hit the nail on the head earlier martini was built out to solve some of the problems in in distributed web applications where you have multiple services that um, you know, do one thing really, really well. And you have those intercommunicate between each other. And the industry is trending trending to that as a whole. And so that's that's the space and the little niche that I think Martini will really fill is building these small applications that, you know, the, the code can be really small and concise and, and reusable across, you know, different applications. Gotcha. Cool. Jared, anything else for... Uh... For your your your, uh, your questions, inquiring minds, no. Uh, yeah, you know if if Andrew here, which he's uh, which he's not at this at this moment. Uh, I don't think so. Andrew, you here? No, he's not here. Um, he would ask. Uh, he would say, "We have three questions we typically ask at the end of the show, uh, and when we, uh, this is one of my favorite questions we get to ask, which is, who is your programming hero?' It could have been somebody that was." just influential in your life. It could have been, you know, a mentor, it could have been a teacher, it could have been, you know, it could have been your dad, whomever, but who is the programming hero for you? Oh man, that's going to be a hard one. Um, uh, 
I would have to say uh, at the moment, and this is going to sound super cheesy because I'm on a podcast talking about Go, but uh, a lot of those Unix guys, like like Rob Pike and Rob Kernigan, like they they're pretty awesome. I, I I'm a self admitted you know Unix lover. I love just the way the philosophies around it and how it's structured. And it's, it, there's obviously flaws around it, but um, in general, it's very in line with how I like to build applications. So um, a lot of minimalism, a lot of uh, you know build build apps that do one thing really well. Um, you know. I, fall in line with that philosophy. So those old school guys that have uh, done a lot to influence, you know, modern computing as a whole. Um, I, I love it. So if you were, if you were not coding go, or I guess goes on a language, I guess, sorry, go as language. I was thinking of Martini, my bad. Uh, if you weren't coding in go, what would you be coding? And I guess you kind of do that by day. You don't always just code and go. So yeah, what else do you I, hack I kinda, in? Uh, so, I mean, uh, Ruby, um, kind of whatever language is possible. I do some C and C++, some Ruby, some um, every once in a while I'll dive in and do some Objective-C with iPhone apps, JavaScript, um, you know, more Go stuff, touch some C-sharp on on multiple projects. Um, So I'm kind of willing to dive in and uh, I kind of have a pretty open mind. I I think if a community is somewhat successful that there's got to be some... Uh, there's got to be some hope in, and, and some some little golden nuggets in, in how they operate. Um, so I think every every community has at least something to say as far as how software should be developed. And so I'm I'm, I'm adventurous in that way where I like to uh, find out what those answers are. Let's uh, try a different angle at that. What's um What's on your radar? What's what's some fun open source projects that we haven't quite talked about on the show? Maybe something you haven't even uh, written yourself. But what's out there that's interesting that you want to hack on whenever you have a free weekend or something you have? You know, you got four days, you got nothing to do. What would you hack on? Um, probably I would take a, a deep look into uh, what the ecosystem looks like for functional languages right now, um, and and start to find some real use cases for me. Um, obviously, like. As a programmer, we're hearing that we're running into this paradigm shift where we need to do more parallel computing, and and you know having side effects is just a hindrance to that. And so, functional languages are going to become more popular, um, but I don't think it's hit that um, mass yet to where imperative programmers or people like me who have you know grown up as a developer that's you know programming imperative the whole time. Um, we we haven't found the like practical use cases for for functional languages. Everything I I try to see with like a Haskell implementation just seems so academic. And I was like, okay, well, so like, how can I write something for Kajabi like this? So I, I I'll probably I probably have that on my radar. If I yeah, if I were to go to a cabin for four days, I'd probably look at Haskell and be like, I need to I need to find a way to make this useful for me. Um, what do you think? Would, so, yeah. What do you think would write? Maybe if you, because I mean, you would have no internet, right? I would have no internet, so I'd probably have to write some command line apps um, and do some crazy craziness. But I don't know if I'd exactly be able to tell you what I'd write. Cool. Well, why don't you take that trip someday and get back to us? That's right. Yeah. I might suggest if you're in a cabin without any internet and you're like on vacation. Maybe have a beer, sit out, enjoy the outside. <laughs> Let's put, come on, guys. We can put the computer down for a few days. 
And oh, yeah, we, totally. <laughs> and then we get back. Because I get mean, a glass of whiskey and a cigar. I mean, that sounds yeah, you're not way better le- than programming Haskell. You're not going to learn I mean, let's Haskell get real without, here. without the internet. Come on. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, that's cool, man. Yeah, Jeremy, it's been fun having you on the show. I know that uh, you kind of get to bounce around quite a bit in your... Uh, in your working with the web and and programming, and obviously you've done some pretty cool stuff to share on GitHub, and we appreciate you know your perspective with Martini and how you want to keep it clean and how you're kind of guiding that ecosystem and just coming on the show and and sharing that and, and maybe even giving a little twist of the arm via Twitter to to get onto the show. But you were definitely on our list, sir. That's for sure. Oh, awesome! Well, I'm so glad to be on the on the podcast again. Uh, newer fan, but a, but a big fan, and I'm just it's it's awesome talking to you guys. Yeah. I love talking shop. It's been good having you back on the show too, Jared. I, I know I haven't had you back on with me since uh, since Katrina's show, really, right? So it's been a bit. Yeah, it's been a while. Good to be back. I have to get you back on the show more often, man. Right on. I have to make that our mission. But um, I also want to give a another shout out to our sponsors, DigitalOcean, whom we love, New Relic, whom we love, and TopTile, whom we love, which. Uh, those are our sponsors for the show, but uh, our friends at DigitalOcean want to pay you. So if you write open source, like we've talked about today, if you got a, a project out there, they want to pay you to write a tutorial about your project for the DigitalOcean community. Best of all, they'll give you 50 bucks and then promote it for you on their Twitter account. So if you've written Martini, maybe you can write a uh, tutorial and they'll promote it to their 21,000 followers. Uh, for those of you listening, I'll put this in the show notes, but the URL for that is digitalocean.com slash right hyphen four hyphen digital ocean the word four is the the word f-o-r four not the number four so just so you get that clear um, and you can also get some free stickers from digital ocean by filling out the form at stickers.digitalocean.com and if you want to uh if you want to freelance with companies like airbnb rto or audio head to top.com slash developer and click join the best to see if you have what it takes to join top tiles elite elite capital e elite network of engineers again that url is toptow.com slash developer and that's it for this week jeremy thanks again for coming on the show it's uh, definitely great having you on the show and the listeners we thank you for listening and for your, and for your support and if you haven't yet uh, we do have an email we ship out every saturday it's called the changelog weekly um and we we share everything everything that hits our open source radar i know martini made an appearance at one point and I think even the blog post that uh, Jerry was alluding to earlier on, uh, Jeremy, we had that in, in weekly as well. But uh, you can subscribe at thechangehall.com slash weekly. We'll be back next week. And until then, let's say goodbye. See ya. See ya.